1: Hey, welcome to Moving Our Podcast, Markets, with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. A lot of stuff to talk about today, Sean. We've, uh, it seems like to be a reoccurring theme since you've been on this show, Sean. There's always a lot of stuff to talk about, but crop progress reports came out. No big surprise there. Um, the crops improved, you know, everyone got some rain, things look good, um, But I can tell you, in my neck of the woods where I live at right now, it has been um, you know mid '80s for the most part all summer long till about like this this last half of last week. It kind of started well. We kind of started getting two or three days of 90 plus, and then we get you know back to the '80s. But this whole week has been 90 plus, and uh, the humidity levels are higher than they've been in the past, and there's just a lot of moisture in there. So your uh, last week of uh july going into august prediction of hey things are going to turn hot and hot and dry it's starting to happen so i guess talk a little bit about what you saw there and and some of your reaction to what came out of that crop progress report
2: just remember the crop progress report for the most part unless you're completely you know in an isolation chamber is old news everyone already knew that the weather was good we're going to see better crop ratings. so it really doesn't matter what matters is what's coming up and the models keep getting drier and keep getting hotter. And everybody has been uh, – got lulled to sleep because for two months, the models have said hot's coming and they back out. Hot's coming and they back out. Hot's coming and they back out. Yeah. Um. But this time, as we ha- have highlighted, you have to know when the models are right and you have to know when the models are wrong. Uh, I believe the models are right this time. And the reason they're right this time is because the hot – Sea surface temperatures that have developed off the Atlantic coast, which had been super cold, that is a dramatic change in the fundamentals for U.S. summertime temperatures. It's a massive change. And I don't hear anybody talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. It's a massive change. It's, It's just dramatic change. And that's why the heat's coming. And it's going to deliver. And the models are right. And it's not going to be backing off. It's not going to be cool. It's a completely different fundamental. Um, so now the surprise is that the heat's going to – it'll be hotter than they thought or it's going to be more extended than they thought or it's going to it's gonna be, be more easterly than they thought. Um, and, you know, you can have wet and hot, Casey, yeah. and it hurts yields. If it's super hot and wet, it still hurts yields. Temperature is the most important fundamental you know in terms of crop yields, more important than actual moisture is high heat. So this is really a big change. and if we are meet that high heat with, I'm not anticipating Casey, I want to be very clear. I'm not anticipating May June low precipitation levels that were some of the driest we'd seen in 50 to 100 years. I'm not anticipating that for August, but I think we're going to be below normal. And that's all you need with this kind of heat. Is below normal rainfall in the core grain belt with high heat, and you're going to do a world of hurt to soybeans. You're going to do a world of hurt to the spring wheat, which the Canadian prairies and you know northern plains. And you're go- and you're still going to take bushels off of corn. Everyone thinks the minute pollination is done, you can't hurt the corn crop. You can and you will hurt the corn crop in August, just not as much. Right. Grain fill is extremely important, and you can lose, you know. Two to four bushels per acre off the top if you have an unfavorable August, which you know that's not the same like losing ten or fifteen bushels off the top, like we could have it if July had turned out drier. But at the same time, it's not trivial. So I think when you look at all of that, it's telling me, and and it should be telling everyone out there that a a sizable tradable rally. From late July into the mid-late August timeframe, I think is a pretty likely outcome. And then the question becomes: How high? How long? And obviously, exactly what happens with weather, Casey, as we go forward, is going to be determining that. But, um, but I kind of like the, the I like the prospects for grains here. If you're in the business of buying bean meal, corn, canola meal, I mean, if you're in the business of buying. These grains, I just think I might get myself some coverage here. If you're needing to, you're wanting to, um, I think this might be a good time to be looking at doing that.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. So, and that's something else you talked about um, crop inflation, um, prices, and stuff like that last time, and what that meant and what that would look like. So, you're, you're everything's kind of coming together here,
2: Sean. So, well, the dollar. You know, the dollar crashing to new lows is a huge, huge fundamental shift to a currency inflation-related commodity price mechanism from a deflationary rising strong dollar mechanism. I mean, it's, it's we, we have turned a corner to where the U.S. dollar devaluation is now underway. Right. We've talked about this all for the last six to 12 months at the back half of twenty-three, we are expecting to see this take place. And we really believe that the next that the the, the next like really important low or low point for the dollar is gonna be in that 2024, 2026. But the hard down phase is from now into twenty-four, early twenty five. And so you know we haven't seen a currency inflation related move in commodities. We had a little bit of it in late 2020, Casey before the dollar rally. But you'd have to go back to the 2000s, the last time we had a currency-related, inflationary-related move. And, I, and, and the most important thing for everyone to understand, what's so powerful about this, you could have no change in the fundamentals and corn could go up 20%. Because 2 billion bushel carry out, if the dollar is devaluing, could mean 65 In a deflationary sprung dollar, it could be 45 the same fundamental means a different U.S. price based upon the prism that you're looking through. And that, I think, so many people do not understand. They're always looking at you know supply and demand and using that to try to determine price. And that's very valid, and you should do that. But you have to look it through the substrate of currency and understand that we don't need corn supplies to come down to have a big rally in corn if the dollar is in a devaluation cycle. Now, if those supplies come down, it just makes the upside that much more exciting. Right? right? That much more impactful. Yep. Yep. But that's why we're saying is, you know, if, if, if you're having in a tub and you've got a bunch of boats and you fill up that tub with water, which is a weakening currency, all the ships are going to rise. Now, now some might rise a little faster than others based upon their height and weight and width and what the winds are doing, but it's, it's going to, it's a, it's a rising tide and we, and, and that's, um, The reason why we think and believe in in expecting that the overall commodities would turn up in the back half of 2023. If you look at the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, if you look at the BLS Cash Commodity Index, both have turned up after making a secondary low and are now turning up. All the, the classical technical indicators are turning up. I think we've begun an uptrend in overall commodities that will likely last at least into the first quarter of 2024. Doesn't mean you want to have corrections along the way. Doesn't it mean it's straight up. But I think we have turned the tide, no pun intended. And one now wants to be buying breaks instead of selling rallies, which has been the winning strategy for the last 18 months.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Let's jump over and talk about pork for just a minute. Pork is the uh, little engine that could. It's it's finally seen some light here in the tunnel, but still has that anvil hanging off of a string uh, in the. Uh, Roadrunner's about ready to cut it here again. I'm sure and smash the coyote in the head. So I guess when you're when you're looking at the pork uh, industry right now, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, understand that we had a, we got to a record differential between pork cut uh, cutout price and beef cutout price. So at some yep. point, someone has to say, looking yep. at a budget, well, I just can't afford that. I really like right. beef, but yep. you know, but I, I want my family to have some meat. So here you go. Um, secondly, you know, we had African swine fever. Yep. In China, and they just don't need anything, and they haven't been buying anything. We're not as much as they could have been buying. Uh, and then we had the Supreme Court decision that uh, uh, up, that upheld the California humani- uh, hog humanitarian treatment laws. That says if you don't treat hogs in the humanitarian way as they've defined it, you're not going to allow. They are not going to allow pork to come into the state of California then the supreme so that cru- that just caused a crushing blow to the market and we had the worst margins i believe in history for a while yeah. then the supreme court said well maybe we were a little too rash you know maybe we need to get, need everyone a little bit of time to adjust they
1: jump there a little bit so,
2: yeah maybe you know maybe we you know cold turkey maybe it's just yeah. not yeah. So they delayed it till the end of the year, and of course, what would you do if you're a buyer? You would buy every bit of pork and get your hands on while you're allowed to bring that into the state of California before they close the door again. So that's been the, largely the reason that the hog market and the pork cutout price has taken off. Is that there's been a mad dash of buyers to you know get themselves you know buttoned up here so they can get through this you know period where they can't bring that pork in until hopefully the industry figures out what the heck we're gonna do here. How we're gonna how we're gonna manage this dramatic loss of domestic demand. The real reason to own hogs in my opinion, in our opinion, um, is the post African swine fever demand from China. Um that's really the long-term reason. This short-term rally, all, all nice, and we'll take it, and it's helped the pork producer make, you know, you know, get themselves in a better financial position. where the prices are right now; it's not a long-term driver. Eventually, that demand's going to get cut off, and we have to deal with what do we do with it. But the China demand would would be would be more than offset that. And you know, right now, you know, I look at the hog price in China as the signal I'm looking for to determine whether they're done herd liquidating and they're ready to see the hog price take off, give the hog producer in China a reason to to rebuild the herd. If you rebuild the herd, you need a whole bunch of meal and corn and everything else. And it's not happened yet. In fact, we made new lows this week in the China hog price if you look at the September contract. So that's not telling, giving me the green light yet. I'm absolutely 100% confident we're going to see that price take off before we get to the fourth quarter, but it hasn't happened yet. And that's what gives me great reservation on this rally in hog prices that's stemming from a short-term Supreme Court decision, but it's not really being generated by a long-term change in Chinese demand. I kind of feel like we're set up for a big correction. Maybe not going back to where we were, Casey, but it's certainly, I think, a big correction uh, as most of the buyers are, are going to get themselves to where they need to be, and they're going to back away. I'd be a little worried on hog prices heading into August, um, maybe early September. And if I'm sitting here as a hog producer wondering what should I be doing, I think I would be taking advantage of some of those price increases. When you're looking at a near-death experience a month or two ago, you know I might just book some of those prices right now. I think that's the right way to manage risk until the Chinese parabolic demand comes into the equation and gives you the really exciting reason uh, to be uh, bullish the hog industry, and the hog price in 2024.
1: Hypothetical here. Let's put our get your crystal ball out and let's, let's talk about something here. So Russia backs out of the grain corridor deal, and which I don't think that's any big surprise to anybody. I think that was – everyone saw that coming. I think that's a big deal. Uh, immediately, Russia, missile strikes, drone strikes, a lot of stuff, to the Port of Odessa further uh, hampered Ukraine's ability to move grain out of the uh, Black Sea region um, moreover, they pretty much made it clear that any ships leaving out of that area that are, um, not Russian are going to get, you know, attacked basically. And they kind of read between the lines what you saw. Ukraine is the fourth largest, um, producer of, uh, wheat in the world. Um, right now they have roughly about a half of a normal crop in storage, um, One ship came in, I can't remember where it came in from, maybe Lebanon or something like that, and got uh, 26,000 metric tons of grain. Basically, um, you'd need something like 700 more of those ships to get the same level of grain out of Ukraine, and it's just not going to happen. So whether Ukraine comes back next year or not and this is all over, then go back and plant regular crop again, it's going to be years before they can get safely in and out and there's going to be a number of insurance companies that are going to say yes let's go let's go drive these ships through an area that was once mined and see see what happens i I just don't think long term could this be the last year for the foreseeable future that that ukraine has the ability to move grain out of out of their area
2: you know i i I don't know how to predict the future of geopolitics and things can always surprise but You know, at the end of the day, um, I believe that um, this shift in the geopolitics is going to cause Russia to back away from lowballing the cash wheat price, which is what they've been doing for month after month after month after month, and that's what's been that's what caused wheat prices to lose half their value because they, right. you know, and I think you know, when you, if you really think back on it probably one of the reasons is that they were willing to do that number one, they had a record crop last year sure. winter wheat, 100 million metric tons so they had a lot of wheat, at the same time I think they were purposefully trying to put Ukraine production and further out of business knowing full well that once they did then they could kind of name their price because at the end of the day they have a needed a lot of money to fund the war that seems to be going on forever now Mm -hmm. um and you know they don't it's hard you know they got to sell a lot of wheat at this low price they can sell a lot less at a higher price and bring the same amount of money in or sell the same amount of wheat make more money so i think if you really look at the chess pieces. Probably their long-term strategy was to eventually cut Ukraine off from the rest of the world, and then they would back away. The price would take off, and then they would then come in you know, as, as a savior, providing wheat to those that are willing to, to buy it from them. Remember, their winter wheat crop is going to be 15% down, or about 85 million metric tons. Their spring wheat crop is going to be down 10 to 15% from last year. So they're going to have a lot less wheat to sell. And if they have a lot less wheat to sell, they're going to need a higher price if they're going to generate the capital, the same amount of capital they generated last year when they had a lot more wheat to sell. So all this is bullish the wheat market going forward. And one of the reasons that I think grains are set up for a strong tradable rally here in August and why I think overall commodities are turning up – because I just think that that this is a a big shift, whether it's crude oil, which has had a big rally, whether it's even natural gas that's starting to rally. There's a lot of things, a lot of levers here from this Russia situation shifting that argues for geo- – we talked about currency premium coming into commodities as an inflationary. Geopolitical premium, which we have taken out, is likely to come back in to a lot of the commodity markets like they were – 18 months ago. And so you put in geopolitical premium, you put in weather premium that we're talking about, you put in currency premium, you know, you have yourself an uptrend in overall commodities, Casey. Um, and typically when commodities turn either up or down, it's not one month, it's not two weeks, you know, it's nine to 12 months. That You know, those are your typical up and down moves minimally in an in a, in a overall market is, you know, in commodities, it's you know, it's, it's a, it's a multi-multi-multi-month move. So uh, I think that that's where we're at, and that's why any buyers out there that have been holding back, and they've been very successful, by the way, holding back. The buyers that have been living hand-to-mouth have made a killing living hand-to-mouth, but you also have to know when to shift and get in and go ahead and, and get some some of your physical needs bought. We're at the point where you need to get things bought. I don't think hand-to-mouth is the right approach Going forward, at least into the first quarter of twenty four, I think if you wait now and and keep going hand to mouth, you are going to turn a very good strategy into a very catastrophic strategy in a hurry. And I don't think you know. I don't think that is in anyone's best interest to do, especially if you are looking to manage your long term business through your input costs. This is an awfully good time to lock those in right now.
1: Right on. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do
2: that? Uh, Our Twitter page is at Faridex. That's F-E-R-I-D-E-X 11. We have a LinkedIn page. Of course, our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We're not habitual uh, posters. We do save most of the information for our subscribers, but we do from time to time put on information and interviews about our, our work to give people an idea of what we do to see if how we do things and why we do it is a value to your listeners. Right on.
1: Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast.
2: Thanks Casey. Always a blast.
1: We will talk to you again soon, my friend. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with moving iron podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at moving iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at moving iron podcast. Go over to the YouTube channel, which is moving iron podcast. Check that out over there. And you'll see the video version of this podcast. Go to MovingIronLLC.com for everything Moving Iron related and all the information for the Moving Iron Summit. Coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you want to sign up for that, you have roughly about 20 days to do that. So, uh, And it's almost booked up, too. So if you're interested in doing that and you're making a decision, go ahead and go ahead and hit the uh, the registration button there. And you'll get $50 off from the people over at Axon Tire. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. Wish on Hackett.
2: here moving on